I'm going to name four characters from a TV show. And I want you to tell me what show I'm talking about. And trust me, it has something to do with my Easter message. <laughs> Bert and Ernie, the Cookie Monster, and Kermit the Frog. Sesame Street, be careful. Muppets was later. They got their own show. Sesame Street, 1969. These were all Muppets on the award-winning kids show, Sesame Street. But one of the earliest human characters was an older man named Mr. Hooper. Anybody remember Mr. Hooper? Cranky old man that took care of the birds? The actor's real name was Will Lee. And after 13 years on the show, he died suddenly of a heart attack in 1982. And the producers of this show were faced with a big dilemma. How are they going to explain death to the 10 million kids that tune into that show every week? Well, most of the top bigwigs at Sesame Street wanted to do exactly what the world usually wants to do with this. Just skirt the issue. Avoid it altogether. And they wanted to simply say that Mr. Hooper retired and went on down to Boca Raton, Florida or something like that. But after a lot of discussion and debate, they decided to make it a teaching moment. And actually tell 10 million children that Mr. Hooper died. But because it's public television, they wanted to talk about it without making any reference to anything religious or spiritual at all. So in this episode on death, Big Bird comes out onto the stage with a drawing in his hand that he says he wants to give Mr. Hooper. And when he says that, one of the adults sitting at the table says, Big Bird, remember, we told you that Mr. Hooper died. And Big Bird says, oh, yeah, I forgot. Well, I'll just give it to him when, he, when I see him again. At that point, another adult rises from the table and puts his arm around Big Bird and says, Big Bird, when people die, they don't come back. That's the gospel, according to Sesame Street, and it's the best news they have. But that's not the message of Easter. That's not the message of Easter at all. The message of Easter is so much better than that. The message of Easter is because Jesus came back from the dead, we can too. There's now life after death. Towards the end of that same episode, Big Bird comes back onto the stage and says, I don't understand. Why does it have to be this way? Give me one good reason. And the adult says to Big Bird, Big Bird, it has to be this way because. Big Bird says, just because? And the adult says, just because. The daytime Emmys went on to award and recognize that episode as one of the top 10 most influential moments of daytime 
television. Even though the best they could offer was an unfinished, dangling sentence that just said, because. Just because. Oh, Easter is the good news that finishes that sentence. Because Easter says, I can do better than that. I can tell you why there is death and what Jesus has done to set us free from it forever. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, just listen intently as I read a portion of this great chapter about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm beginning in verse 3. For I delivered to you, this is the Apostle Paul talking, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Skip to verse 20. But... In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power for he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Skip to verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Oh, in this great chapter, the Apostle Paul 
answers a number of basic questions about the resurrection. And it'd be great for you to take some time to go ahead and read the whole chapter. But for the sake of time today, I'm just going to look at two, two of the questions that Paul answers. Did the resurrection really happen? Don't make a mistake. Don't think, oh, they were so much more gullible back then. They, they believed all kinds of things like this. No, they didn't. That's why one of Paul's longest chapters in his letters addresses, here's why it happened. Here's why it happened. Here's why it happened. Did the resurrection really happen? And the second question, what difference does it make in my life? Let's jump into first. Did the resurrection really happen? You see, if the resurrection is going to make any difference in your life, you have to decide whether it actually happened or not. It can't just be some inspirational hallmark greeting card thought that somehow boosts your positive attitude and hopefulness about life and say it doesn't really matter if he ever actually rose from the dead. It's this resurrection inspirational spirit and thought. No. No. That'll never get it. That's why Paul says in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance. First importance. What I also received. The New Testament was originally written in Greek koine, the language of Greek, marketplace Greek that everyone could understand on the bottom shelf. And Paul right there in verse 3 is using some technical Greek terms, delivered, received, that mean I researched, I gathered information, I talked to eyewitnesses, and I passed it on to you. In fact, he says, I talked to 500 Christians, 500 people, most of whom are still alive today. You can talk to them. You can check it out, even as I'm writing this. So you need to realize, Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth only 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. People are still alive. And think about it. Paul is making a very public claim here in a letter that is going to be circulated about the Roman Empire. And he's saying, go ahead. Talk to any of these witnesses because most of them are still alive. Get this. Because I grow weary of it as the media lumps all religions together and say, Christianity, Islam, all religions are the same. That is so untrue. Christianity is unlike any other. And here's one of many reasons. Every other religion is so different than Christianity. You need to realize, Joseph Smith, who started the Mormon church, said, Jesus appeared to me only. And the three apostles came down from heaven and told me that I'm the head of a new religion. They laid hands on me. I saw it. I heard it. You're just going to have to trust me. Believe me. Muhammad, the same way, says the same thing about the start of Islam. He appeared to me alone. I'm the only one that heard him. You'll just have to trust me and believe it happened. 
The start of Christianity rocked the Roman Empire and sent waves out into the known world because hundreds of eyewitnesses saw him, heard it, saw it. So Paul says, try to refute the evidence. Talk to any of the witnesses. And keep this in mind. Paul's not a country bumpkin. Don't make that mistake also about people back then. Paul was a scholar. Paul was academic. Paul had the equivalence of a PhD today and had been trained at the feet of the leading scholar of the day, Gamaliel. And so Paul is throwing down the gauntlet here and saying the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not some inspirational fairy tale. It is an historical fact. That's why he says in verse 20, look at it again. But in, say it, fact. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Paul is planting a stake in the historical timeline and is saying, it's a fact. Check it out. Look at the evidence. It's also worth noting, all through the New Testament, and Paul wrote a dozen or 13 letters in the New Testament, all through the New Testament, whenever Paul defended the resurrection, and he often did because it was just as unbelievable to them as it is to us, whenever he defended the resurrection, he never said, you'll just have to believe. Close your eyes and just believe. Oh, you can't ask questions about this. Don't expect for any evidence or credibility to this. Close your eyes and believe and take a spiritual leap into the dark. Never. Ever. In the book of Acts, chapter 26, when Paul stood in chains before Festus and King Agrippa to, to defend his Christian faith, he didn't back down from talking about the resurrection. He didn't soft pedal it and avoid that. No, in fact, it's when Paul mentions the resurrection from the dead of Jesus that Festus, sitting on his throne, interrupts him and says, Paul, your great learning has driven you mad. Festus knew that Paul was a brilliant academic scholar. He said, you're so smart you have thought your way into madness, Paul. So what does Paul say next? He makes an amazing statement. He says, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is true and credible. You can ask King Agrippa from Palestine who's sitting next to you. Because these things didn't happen, quote, in a corner. These things didn't happen in a corner. He knows in Palestine. He was there. Ask him all about it. It rocked Jerusalem and the entire region. Ask King 
Agrippa for yourself. Look at the witnesses, the sightings, the empty tomb, and the body that was never recovered or produced by anyone. Oh, listen to me. If the Jews could have produced a body, they would have. They could not because he was alive. You decide what really happened. And to top it off, there's so much evidence that the Bible is not a hoax. Let me tell you this. To top it off, all four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, document that women were the first to find the empty tomb and to see Jesus alive and to go and tell others. Why am I pointing that out? Because in that day, their view, in that culture, their view of women was so low that the testimony of a woman was not even admissible in the court of law. To document women finding the empty tomb and seeing Jesus alive first would have been a colossal mistake and a blunder for anyone that wanted to perpetrate a fiction or create a hoax and pull one over and start some new religion based on something that never happened. Why would they document that women found the empty tomb and saw him first? Because it actually happened that way. But let's answer the second question. So what difference does it make in my life, Brad? You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was never meant to start a new doctrine or create a new religion. They had plenty of religion. The resurrection of Jesus was designed to accomplish something that would change your life forever. So what are some of the differences that the resurrection was intended to make in your life? Here's the first, because of the resurrection, because of the resurrection, your sins and your flaws no longer have to define you. See, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ takes care of our biggest problem, the sin problem that separates us from a holy God and would land us in an eternal hell. But Christ's death made the final payment for our sins in full and his resurrection from the dead proves he is who he says he is the only perfect God man who gave his life for us that's why Paul says in verse 17 look at it again and if Christ has not been raised then your faith is futile And you are still in your sins. But if Christ has been raised from the dead, then you can be free from your biggest problem. If Christ is alive and your faith is in him, then God looks at you and is satisfied and accepts you because your sins have been paid in full by the death and resurrection of Jesus so that you can be forgiven and free. And that freedom means you have a new identity now as a child of God. 
so that your sins and your flaws and your mess that are still so real on any given day no longer have to define you. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Yes, you're still a sinner, but a sinner saved by grace, forgiven, accepted, not because you're doing so much better, not based on your behavior, but based on the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf as your substitute. But let me show you another difference the resurrection makes in your life, and it's this. The fear of death can no longer rob you of hope or keep you from loving God and loving other people. You see, the climax of this whole chapter, the climax of this whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, is found in Paul's two rhetorical questions in verse 55. This is where it peaks. When he says, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the resurrection of Jesus is God's solution to our greatest fear, which is not unemployment and is not lack of health care. And is not racism or any other concern that falls short of the grave. Man's greatest fear always has been, still is, always will be, is death. 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 Despite all the advances of medicine and technology, and we still live with an uneasiness because there's constant reminders of death. We live with an uneasiness that it could happen much sooner than we'd like to think. Ernest Becker, the Pulitzer Prize winning anthropologist who wrote a book titled The Denial of Death, wrestles with man's fear and refusal to come to terms with his own mortality. Becker was not a Christian. But in his book, Becker shows how people are unbelievably controlled by their fear of death. And he says this fear is a universal fear that's shared by all human beings. And he describes it this way, quote, The rumble of panic underneath everything. He says no matter how sweet or good any particular moment or season of life is, it's still tainted by this rumble of panic underneath it all. He says that panic comes from our fear of death. And it's always there, but it raises its ugly head even more when we see things like the alarming number of school shootings so far this year in one year, rumble of panic underneath it all. 
And we see things like the Austin box bomber in Texas that police are saying, so far there's no profile, no rhyme or reason as to who he will choose or she next. And that's what sets us on edge when it's so random. Some of you might recall the nightmare that our nation lived through with the Beltway Sniper who was randomly taking out people from long distance with a scoped rifle in the D.C. area. And the nation was on edge. And during that season of fear, the New York Times Magazine ran an article by Ann Platchett. And she said this, quote, We are always looking to make some sense, some sort of sense out of death in order to keep it safely at bay. I do not fit the description. I do not live in that town. I would never have gone to that place. The fact is, staving off our own death is one of our favorite national pastimes. Whether it's exercise, checking our cholesterol, or having a mammogram, we are always hedging against mortality. But a sniper taking a single clean shot, not into a crowd, but through the sight, reminds us horribly of death itself. Despite our best intentions, it is still, for the most part, random. And it is absolutely coming. What a haunting final statement. It is absolutely coming. Oh, yes, it is. And sooner than some of you would like to think, that's why the Easter message is such good news. Listen to me. If you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection for your sins, then you have so much to be afraid of. In fact, you're a fool if you're not afraid today. Because a world without the resurrection of Jesus is a world where your biggest problem still hangs over you. Your sin problem. And confusion as to why you're here and what you should be living for still haunts you. Because you still have no answer for the rumble of panic underneath Everything you try to do, even in your sweetest seasons or moments. But if Jesus rose from the dead, and he did, then you can have him in your life today. And you can have an answer for that rumble of panic because the shout of the resurrection puts that panic in its place forever. But maybe you're here today, and you're that person who right now is saying, but Brad, I'm so messed up. I'm so far from God. I'm so unworthy. He would never love me or accept me. If that's you, then I want you to notice what Paul said in verse 5. Look at verse 5 again. Do you see who's at the top of the list as to who Jesus appeared to first? Cephas, it's another name for Peter. 
Peter. What do you know about Peter? You think you've blown it? Listen to me. Peter, on the night of Christ's arrest and betrayal, when Jesus needed him most, denied that he even knew him. Not once. Not twice. But three times. And the final denial with cursing. I do not know the man. He wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And maybe that's been you for so long. You've wanted nothing to do with Jesus or Christianity. Maybe you, even like Paul, have attacked and railed against it. So had Paul. But that can all change today. No one, listen to me, no one is too far. No one is hopeless. No one is in a category of unredeemable, no hope for you. Regardless of who you are, what you've done, or where you've been, you can have Jesus in your life today. But you have to be willing to submit to him as Lord, Lord Jesus. And to do that, you'll have to see yourself as a sinner and self-absorbed in desperate need of a Savior. Because listen to me, Jesus came to die for sinners, not people who already think they're doing pretty good. The Easter message has nothing to do with a self-help project and everything to do with you coming to the very end of yourself and crying out to God for mercy through his son, Jesus, who's alive today. I want you to bow your heads as we close. Because I want you to take a quiet moment right now. Whatever your activities for the rest of the day might be, it may be grandmother's house, it may be a special meal, it may be an Easter egg hunt. There may be traditions that you practice today, and I want you to still do those. But oh my goodness, oh hear me. Every person here today has to make a decision about Jesus Christ and the resurrection. Everyone. Come to Christ. Believe that he is the son of God and that he died the only perfect death in your place as payment for your sins and that when he rose from the dead, he satisfied God's wrath and conquered sin, Satan, death, and hell for you. And let me tell you what's on the other side of this decision to believe and follow. You'll have a freedom for the first time to say no to your own sinful desires. Because Jesus, in his resurrection power, will help you from the inside out. 
You'll have a hope like never before in the face of unsettling, fearful circumstances. You may be looking fearful, unsettling circumstances in the face right now. Whether it's your health, your job, your family, this world, our nation. And you'll have a peace and a joy that's grounded in something deeper than your circumstances because you have an answer for the panic that rumbles underneath everything. Because you'll have a sense of being loved and accepted by someone who loves you like you've never experienced before. If you'd like to become a Christian today, and you'd say, I am ready to make a decision to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Oh, listen, you don't need to give this church one penny. You don't need to shake my hand. You don't need to go through a class. You don't need to be baptized. Right now, where you sit, God sees your heart. You can make that decision. And if that's you and you say, I'm, I'm, I'm ready, then pray this simple prayer after me, right where you sit. Just say, dear God, I know that I am a sinner. I can't fix it. I can't be good enough. I can't even measure up to my own standards, let alone your standard of holiness. Thank you for doing for me what I could never do myself and sending your son to take on flesh and keep your commandments perfectly and to give his life in payment for my sins. I believe and I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Come into my life, please. Fill me and begin to change me from the inside out. In Jesus' name.